Hello, everyone. This is Gaia Lamperti from IBS Intelligence, and you're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. Today, I'm joined by Han Kao, founder of blockchain investment firm Sanctuary Capital. Hi, Han. Hey, Gaia. Today, we're going to chat about Sanctuary Capital, your firm, which you just founded this year, right, Han? That's correct. We officially went live in June. Lovely. But you already raised $2 million by several VCs, so that's a great sign. And we're going to focus on NFTs as well. You have been one of the very early investors in blockchain as you've been analyzing the space since 2013. Why did you see an opportunity in the sector so early? Yeah, you know, I kind of I kind of fell into it completely by accident. At the time I was actually in a different industry. Uh, I was running an online ticketing platform for events. What we found out was a really big problem was a problem of finality with the credit card and payment system. And we essentially would have charge our ticket buyers uh, for tickets that they're ordering for a concert or whatnot. And uh, right before the event, we would basically kind of batch all these uh, proceeds and send them over to the uh, event producer. And we realized that a good amount, a significant amount of these ticket buyers would end up charging back over the next three months. And we would end up losing a lot of money from that because there was no way for us to forecast how much to hold back. And so that problem and that ability for transactions to not be final gave, you know, gave us this inspiration or this motivation to kind of look elsewhere and that's kind of where we kind of had our first touch with Bitcoin. I ran a, a node and it took like two days to download a full node and get it installed. And I was like, okay, well, this is not going to work clearly right now. So that was my first touch. Um, but it wasn't until 2017 when I started uh, investing in private sales and uh, ICOs and whatnot, where I started researching a lot of these projects and realize that uh, the story that a lot of these folks uh, and the entrepreneurs that were building blockchain projects, m- a lot of them were quite different than what they really were. And so we basically just started kind of publishing some of our own investment memos. We would hire um, technologists to review the code base and kind of give an analysis on what the projects had under the hood and what they didn't have. That just kind of took off. And we had a lot of investors asking us to scale a media and research company. They wanted to see more reviews. They want to see more, you know, due diligence, more content, et cetera. And so we kind of had to make a decision at the time whether or not we want to continue pursuing what we wanted to do was was to launch a cryptocurrency fund along with many other funds that were launching at the time. And we decided that, you know, if we wanted to launch a fund, we can kind of do that anytime. However, we saw like maybe like a one to two year window where we could place a permanent media flag um, that was ethically aligned in the spirit of blockchain. And that was, um, you know, a good actor in the space. And yeah, so that's what we did for about three and a half, four years. And I recently stepped back from the CEO role to launch Sanctuary Capital. That's lovely. Thank you for an overview on your journey so far. Well, now tell us a bit more about Sanctuary Capital. What's the valuable position of the firm and what are you guys focusing on right now? Uh, yeah, for sure. So, you know, what in, in the early days when I was investing in 2000, I say the early days as it was a long time ago. It's only four years ago, but in around 2017, 2018, we were doing a lot of early stage reviews and we were 
looking at these projects, we were working with the teams. Uh, as I started scaling the media company, I got really involved with the operations uh, aspects of the, of the media business. And I started to lose touch with a lot of the founders. I started to lose touch with what was happening. What were some of the developments and what were some of the founders thinking about and, and what were the problems they were facing? We just didn't have much time to be able to support them and help them think through these problems. And so when we launched Sancta Capital, we at the same time saw there was just so much money being invested into this space and deployed into the space. It was a, an amount that was quite disproportionate to the amount of support that a lot of blockchain focused funds actually had built in house and and you know that the amount of support a fund has in house and invests in house should be commensurate with how much they deploy. And we're, we, we started seeing a, quite a, a disparity there. And so we spoke to many of the projects that were raising money uh, earlier in the year. And we said, hey, what's the, you know, what are some of the challenges that you're having right now? And the, and the w- number one feedback that we kept getting back was, we are getting so much money thrown at us, but nobody is spending time with us. We don't even know how to do X, Y, or Z. And we've got this great idea or we're, you know, we've built this much, but we don't know how to do so many other things, right? And so what we wanted to do was kind of draw upon our experience over the years as cryptocurrency, as a cryptocurrency company founder and and operators in this space and really try to help the next generation of blockchain company founders and entrepreneurs um, try to navigate this space and lend them the support and not just contribute our our, our capital, but uh, also our time, uh, our experience. Uh, and then we said, well, man, well, it's this is really nice to say, but as we invest month after month and more and more projects, it, it's literally, we would end up in six months in the same position as other blockchain investment companies. And, and how do we kind of solve that, right? And how do we scale our internal resources? And so we decided to come up with this mentorship model that's not that different from the Y Combinators uh, of the world, where we basically, you know, go put the these early stage founders through a, a six-week program, and we match them up with domain experts in various different fields within blockchain and cryptocurrencies. And we work with them uh, on their go-to-market strategy, on their tokenomics, uh, help them with partnerships and and really try to provide all the investor side support that founder needs in order to be successful. And so we try that at work and then you know we just started scaling it more. We just finished our first official cohort on and had our first official demo day a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, and so that part of the business is called Sanctor Turbo. Uh, so the idea is to, you know, inject some turbo into these early stage projects. Beautiful. It sounds great. And especially I was thinking it's so rare to find somebody who has been living through the process himself. You've been through this with your previous venture. So you know quite well what it feels like. Exactly. And among blockchain projects, this year there's one that has, you know, attracted a lot of interest, attention, and we're talking about NFTs. So I would love to hear a bit more from your end. What is going on and what are some of the questionable aspects of NFTs? Yeah, you know, NFTs really 
took this market by storm here. And it's been quite phenomenal how it just kind of, I wouldn't say came out of nowhere. It's been a slow, it's it's been there for many, many years. Um, uh, it's just kind of just taken off this year. And I don't know what was the single one catalyst, but what's really exciting about NFTs is that it's really easy to understand and it's really easy to get involved, right? And, you know, the a collector mentality stays the same. It doesn't matter if you're collecting a baseball cart or an NBA top shot. Uh, you don't need to understand all the complicated technologies behind these NFTs, right? You just You just need to say, do I like this? piece of art or music or media file? And, and, you know, is this something that resonates with me that I identify with that I'd like to represent me or, um, or whatnot. And so it's something that's that people can relate to. And so whether it's that, whether it's COVID and people just having so much time or whether it's the bull market where a lot of crypto investors were trying to find other ways to spend their money um, on, you know, it could have been, you know, we saw in a, a revitalization of the crypto punks, right. And uh, people were spending, now I think there was a stat that says the average uh, media time, uh, the average screen time for the Americans is about seven hours. That got increased to uh, 12 hours for heavy users per day, right? And so if you're spending all of your time in front of a screen and communicating with people and people just seeing a profile picture, then you want to start identifying how you want to represent yourself, right? Like, you know, that would be the equivalent of, you know, going out and buying a nice watch or wearing a nice shirt, right? And so um, I think that there's, there's so many things that kind of just kind of came together. And of course, you know, NBA Top Shots was definitely drove the catalyst where uh, there was uh, big sporting brands that people are already following and it kind of evangelized this whole trend, right? And so it's really, really exciting to see the space grow so quickly and so enormously. You know, one thing we do want to be cautious of, and we want to try to educate the NFT buyer or the collector to kind of answer your question, like, what are some of the things to be cautious of, right? And a lot of folks come into NFTs thinking, oh, it's more liquid, it's uh, easy to trade, and, and, and there's instant markets around it. And so uh, instead of buying a piece of art that I can hang on my in my room physically, but uh, it would, you know, on one hand, but also would also be very difficult for me to uh, resell, you know, that kind of that that kind of benefit needs to be seen qualified a little bit needs to be observed a little bit more carefully. Because the reality is, they're not as liquid as people think they are, right? Um, especially for the very rare items, you know, compared to fungible tokens, right? NFTs are non-fungible tokens. So the opposite of that would be your, your fungible tokens, something that is can be replaced with one another, right? And so NFTs are by, by nature unique. And so it leads to a lack of liquidity. And so we want to we try to inspire people to be uh, one more careful about what they're buying. Really, you really have to look at it as if it's an RP or like, well, you really have to identify with it and say, is this worth this to me? Uh, and then two, be wary of the presumed liquidity uh, of these uh, NFTs. Interesting. And do you believe this depends on the nature of the NFT in question? Like, do we have different trends and different behaviors within the NFT spheres depending on kind of NFT? So whether it's art, it's gaming, or it's fashion, what are yeah. the differences in some of the different drivers? 
Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you 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 brought that up, and and it's 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 quite accurate. There's there's many types of NFTs. There's NFTs that are art based NFTs. There's collectibles, right? Uh, and then there's gaming based NFTs, in game items, uh, avatars, right? Um, and and there's metaverse uh, and land based NFTs. And one type of NFT that I'm personally quite passionate about is as gaming based NFTs. As a crypto investor, let's call me for this for the sake of argument, a long-term crypto investor, as someone has been in this space for quite a while, the moment we've all been waiting for is mass adoption. It's like, okay, crypto mass adoption, blockchain mass adoption, when is that coming? Right. And so what I saw with NFTs is the beginning of that. And how I define mass adoption in crypto is where uh, people are interacting with blockchain and use it using blockchain. But uh, the, the reason they're getting into blockchain is less due to the speculative nature of it and more just for whatever other reason that drives them in. And so I think NFTs are certainly the very, very beginnings of, uh, of mass adoption. But what really gets me excited is, is gaming. One trend that we've seen lately is something called play to earn, where gamers can now play these games, earn what used to be points or essentially virtual currencies. Now they can actually take these uh, in-game currencies that they've earned by playing uh, and winning matches and, and, and whatnot and tournaments and then go and monetize them. They can take them out of the, the game or they can upgrade their character and then maybe one day resell their character, right? Um, and so what we saw with uh, Axie Infinity was this huge, huge, huge trend of a population from uh, emerging economies like the Philippines, folks that lost their jobs during COVID um, and, and the lockdowns and were just sitting around and they came across the opportunity to be able to play games and earn uh, more than they were making in their regular jobs. And so, you know, that's just kind of the dynamic that's starting to evolve now. And if we think about mass adoption, you know, we're talking about hundreds of millions of people that are coming into blockchain that don't really need to know the inner workings of how a blockchain works. And maybe they don't even care, but they're using blockchain technology. They're interacting with blockchain technology uh, and it's all built on blockchain technology. And so that's the part that excites me uh, the most about uh, some of the latest uh, trends in NFTs. Thank you. And to conclude, I would like to ask you, um, what about people who are only now starting investing or starting exploring the idea of investing in the space? Is it too late? Or what should they be careful about? You know, I think we're still in like inning one or two, maybe, maybe three, right? Um, but it's, it's certainly not too late, you know, to answer that question. Um, it's just, just beginning. We're, we're still nowhere near the point of mass adoption. Most people still don't understand uh, blockchain and the different nuances of different blockchains. Until we do, there's still an opportunity to be ahead of the pack. Um, and I, I would say I've talked to hundreds, if not thousands of blockchain investors and cryptocurrency investors over the years. And when I talk to them, the number one correlation between how much they've made and progressed in terms of whether it's earnings or learnings or uh, their you know progress in their career in within the blockchain and cryptocurrency sector, how much they've been able to have been rewarded 
is directly correlated with how much time they spend. It's way more significant than how smart they are, or what background they came from, or what country they're from, or who their parents are, where they're you know. And and that's what's beautiful about blockchain. Uh, it really loves a playing field. And if you have the interest, if you have the curiosity, and if you have the time to invest in yourself into blockchain uh, and learn and educate yourself. Um, there is a direct correlation there with how well you would do in this space. That's amazing to hear. Thank you so much, Han. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you again for your time and speak soon, hopefully. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. Hopefully I'll see you soon.